Now, what's coming up today and the next two weeks, you got to hear this. This series is not designed for us to go and do something as a result. That was the last series. Okay, this series right here is designed for us to think rightly. So this is going to be a thinking man's series, and this really is one sermon divided up over three weeks. So this is the bad news that we're going to get today. And so you're going to walk out of here going, well, that was depressing. There's good news right at the end, but right, and listen, on the, on the third week of this, we're going to be able to celebrate in a great way. Now, what are we going to celebrate? See, this series is called Broken World. We started this a couple of years back. And just to let you know, we did one particular uh, sermon in, in that, um, that was designed to say, how does the church, how should we view or see mental illness? It was not a cure for mental illness. It was not saying we, we should do X, Y, and Z. But how should the church view mental illness? Now, just so you'll know, in a typical week, Wildwood sermons get somewhere a couple hundred views um, that we have sometimes as, as high as a thousand, but, but usually it's in the hundreds. I want you to know that one sermon right there has received over almost now 23 or 24,000 views. Why? Because the church just isn't talking about it much. It wasn't because the preacher did an outstanding job. It was because they're, they're, we don't know how to think about it. So this series is designed to help us think rightly about our broken world. Three weeks today is why is the world broken or how did the world get broken? Next week, we're going to look specifically at why does God not fix it all now? And then the third week, what are we as the church, Christians, what are we called to do to invest into this broken world? And so here's what week number three is going to be about. I cannot wait for this. Many of us have been overjoyed, excited about the recent decision of the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade. It is great news, and it is worth us celebrating. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate what it is that God has done, but we're also going to talk about what is the church called to do as a result of it. It'll be the primary illustration that we'll use. You'll see how it'll apply to all of life, but that's the one we're going to sit on for a while. And I, you're going to get a little bit of history in there about God's sovereign hand. That since 1973, what has God been doing in the midst? And uh, you don't know this, but we have some folks in our congregation that have been working specifically on this for several years now, specifically on this law. And I've been able to talk with them and say, hey, what, what do we as a people need to know about God's sovereign hand in it? Uh, you do not want to miss two weeks from today. You don't want to miss it. The third week in this series will be a time for us to thank God for who he is, what he's done, and for us as a church to say, now what are we called to do as a result moving forward? So, Broken World is our series. I don't think I have to convince you of this, but do you know that we live in a broken world? There's not a single person in the room right now, what do you mean? Everything is as it should be, Dave. It doesn't take us long at all. The religious and the irreligious alike all recognize and acknowledge that we live in a world that is broken at many, many levels. All we have to do is to take a look at the news that takes place every night, and we know we live in a jacked-up, broken world. I didn't believe this when I was younger. My parents would say that watching the news was depressing. I didn't believe that until I became an adult and started watching the news. 
Because when I was a kid, all I wanted to do, you remember this, we didn't have, you know, 114,000 channels uh, on your television set. We had just a few basic channels. And so at night, you would watch it. For us, it was the 9 o'clock news uh, in Montgomery. And you would watch for that little 8 or 10-minute segment on sports. So that's all that I would watch. And then I was ready. I was off to bed after the little sports sections. I had no idea what all was going on in the world. I just knew that in my world, there was a basketball game going on over here. There was a wiffle ball game going on over here. There was some school stuff that I had to go to, but that was mainly so I could see my friends that was going on over here. I had no idea. We, we live in a broken world. Now, let me just walk you through just the most recent headlines. Just a few things uh, that, is, uh, that is in our world right now. Russia invaded the Ukraine, and it has now cost some 50,000 lives as a result. That's just one of many wars that are currently going on in the world. The continent of Africa would likely be the hub of Christianity if it wasn't for civil war and for AIDS. Afghanistan continues its conflict since 1978. Another 10,000 lives have been lost in Myanmar from an internal conflict that began in 1948. That is just a sliver of what's going on in conflict throughout the world. Many of you are aware of the report that came out for one of our sister denominations, the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a report regarding the sexual misconduct that has taken place in churches. A pastor recently in one of the, most, one of the largest churches, rather, in Canada was arrested just last month on the charge of sexual assault. In January of this year, a pastor at one of the largest churches in the world in Australia stepped down after the church had discovered he had breached the moral code of his church based on his behavior with women. That report that came out from the SBC, I want to just read you this quote. For almost two decades, survivors of abuse and other, others concerned Southern Baptists have been conducting, I'm sorry, contacting the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee to report child molesters and other abusers who were in the pulpit or employed as church staff. They made phone calls, mailed letters, sent emails, appeared at SBC and EC meetings, held rallies, and contacted the press only to be met time and time again with resistance, stonewalling, and even outright hostility from some within the executive committee. That is their own internal report. Now, I know I'm taking a risk when I talk about another sister denomination. I want you to hear me loudly and clearly. I praise God for the Southern Baptist Convention. There are many, many, many great, wonderful, godly, eternal things that are happening. And this is the overwhelming minority of things that are happening in that denomination. All I'm saying is it's in the news. It is right in front of us. Apologist Robbie Zacharias, pastors Carl Lentz in New York City, Bill Hybels in Chicago, just a few of the more well-known Christian leaders associated with sexual misconduct in the last few years. Not to mention men from the last several decades, such as Ted Haggard, uh, Jimmy Swaggart, Jim Baker, and the list goes on and on. One more. Toward the end of May this year, 19 elementary age students and two teachers were shot and killed by an 18-year-old boy. 29 mass school shootings killing at least four people are on record in the United States. 19 of them have taken place from 1998 until our present day today. But the earliest known shooting to happen on school property was the Brown Massacre on July 26 of 1764, where either nine or ten, depending upon the report, either nine or ten students were taken as well as the schoolmaster was killed. I want you to hear me loudly and clearly on this. If we don't think biblically about sin, 
then we won't relate rightly to God. If we don't think biblically about sin, we won't relate rightly to God. Because it doesn't take long to get depressed and overwhelmed with the effects of this world. And if we let ourselves go there, it will not take long in which we will point the finger directly upwards and say, you are clearly great, but you are not good. We have to think rightly about sin. That's what this series is. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis being the first book of the Bible gives us everything that we need. Do you know this? That every amount of theology that we need is found in the book of Genesis. One uh, uh, theologian said it this way. It is in Genesis. Everything in Genesis is concealed. The rest of the Bible, it is revealed. We get little nuggets of truth in there. This tells us the story of how we got into the condition that we are. If you would, in honor of God's word, would you stand as we read together? Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You may be seated. Now, what is going on in this passage here? Now, God has created the earth. Moses, when he describes the story, tells us he describes six days in which God was creating. And he did everything with the word of his mouth. Life came through God's word. So God's word created everything into existence. It was created out of literally nothing. No atoms, no molecules, no canvas. There was nothing in existence except for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God says, I'm going to create everything that needs to be. And so he created. He creates Adam and Eve. And he said it was good, all the things that he had made out there. But he made Adam. He said, oh, man, it's really good. With the exception of it's just not good that Adam should be alone. So he made for him what is most theologians' opinion, the crown jewel of his creation. Makes for him woman, his counterpart, his equal in value, substance, and glory, just different in role and function. And God had given him this command. That command was, you can't eat from this particular tree. Now, there was nothing about that particular tree that made it magical or mystical, etc. This was just the command of God that he had given that said, don't eat of this. Now, what is that a symbol of? It is a symbol of God saying, trust me. 
You are going to be better off when I am the one who is giving you the instructions. When I am sitting on the throne, when you are putting yourself underneath my authority, that's when life is going to go well. And so he puts his tree, don't eat of this fruit. And as long as they didn't eat of the fruit, you know what was great? They were happy, content, satisfied, peaceful, joy-filled, etc. All of those things. In verse 20, uh, 25, whatever the last verse is of chapter 2 there, it says, they were both naked and they were unashamed. Now, what does that actually mean? It means this. They had no clothes and they didn't even realize they didn't have clothes. They didn't know what clothes were. Now, in today's day and age, it's great. We have all kinds of patterns and colors, and, and it's great that we get to put those things together. Nothing wrong with that. Amen. Hallelujah. Those of you that have creative minds, my wife is one of them. She knows how to put outfits together. Um, those of you who don't, who are like me, you just praise God when you match somewhat. It's all good. But then they were made, it was just as they were made, and, and they were happy and content. Now, let this thought just sit in for just a moment. In the original design, this is even hard for us to fathom, that people without, there was nothing tainted to it. There was only holy and pure viewing of each other. How cool would that be? Not one selfish thought. They were naked and they were unashamed. And it says in here that this serpent comes up. Now, in the first five verses, the serpent is going to deceive the woman. Notice he says, did God really say? God's word is what brings life. He speaks everything into being. And, and so, of course, the first thing that's going to be attacked is God's word. Did God really say? Are you sure? Are you positive? This is what God said. She is deceived. She is going to add to what God actually says. God never told him you can't even touch it, can't even look at it. He said you can't eat of the fruit. Notice the emphasis of the serpent here is on what God prohibited rather than what God had provided. There's one tree in a garden with a whole world outside of it, and it is just this awesome playground. And the serpent comes in and says, See what it is that God has not given you? That would never affect you, would it? It would never really come to my mind what it is that I don't have. I only and always rejoice in what it is that the Lord has provided for me. God, he, no wonder the scriptures say he was more crafty. So she looks and says, yeah, yeah, all of this is ours. All, but, but, oh, that does look really good. And, and, and by the way, when you, when you eat it, but you're not going to actually die. You're just going to be like God. And isn't that the desire of all of our hearts to be God-like? I don't know about you, but I sure enjoy it when I get a sense that people worship me. And I don't mean as a deity. I'm not that far off the, 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 the land. I, but, but when people think really, really great thoughts, they go, man, that, that dude, that's the man right there. I really enjoy that. And I would like to linger in that for a little while. You're not going to die. You can actually be like God. 
not even realizing they were already like God because they were made in his image, in his likeness, male and female. He created them. So in verse first five verses, we have this deception that's going on from the evil one coming in. The next verse is the rebellion. They then take the fruit and eat it. And when they take the fruit and eat it, they are in essence saying, God, we are not going to stay under your reign and rule. This looks really good to the eyes, so we're going to take it. We're going to do it our way. We're going to see how much does this really bother you. I mean, how bad could things really get if I walk outside of your revealed will? If I choose to go my way instead of your way, what's the worst that could happen? They take the fruit and they eat it and then devastating consequences. But this is the one that scripture chooses to point out above any other. It says, and then their eyes were opened and they realized that they didn't have a stitch of clothing on. We've said this many times in the past. We've looked at, uh, took glances at this passage. But uh, does anybody not find it just interesting that they're the only two people still on the earth, and yet they still feel the, the weight and the shame? And so they go to hide. Most devastatingly of all, they go to hide from the Lord. That's the humiliation that takes place in verses 7 through 8. Now, there are four relationships that are impacted by the fall. Man with God. They are hiding from God because they no longer believe that God is good, gracious, kind, merciful. They now see him as the monster who is chasing after them. He's the stranger things thing, whatever that thing is in all four seasons now. God is the one who is chasing them down in order that he might take their life rather than pursuing them in the garden to be known so that they may be known and they may know him. They don't even see God rightly anymore. Again, if we don't understand sin, if we don't see sin rightly, correctly, then we will not relate rightly to God. So their, their relationship with God is, is jacked up. Second of all is their relationship with each other, man with man. <clears throat> they are now looking and pointing the finger at one another as to whose problem this is. It'll come later on in the passage. We won't read it this morning. But as God comes to them, ask them whose fault it is. Adam says, ah, it's her fault. She says, yeah, it's the dog's fault. It's now they are looking and casting blame everywhere except for saying, hey, this one's on me. They now have an adversarial relationship with one another, one that has shame towards each other. The third relationship is, is, uh, that is distorted and uh, impacted is a man with self. They no longer see themselves accurately. When God had made them, he had put them in the garden to use their incredible brains, ingenuity. He says, I want you to take the steward the world, go mine all the resources in the earth, and go create. They were incredible creatures called to do incredible things. Things and now they're filled with all kinds of doubt. Now, laziness is going to enter the equation. It's a part of the curse that God gives to Adam. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to work. You're going to hate it. It was going to be really cool. It's going to be really great. It's going to be really life giving. Now, you're, it's going to be a toil for you. They don't know how to view themselves correctly anymore. 
They no longer view themselves as dearly beloved, dearly cherished, created by God in his image, children of God. They see themselves as people who need to hide. Finally, the relationship that is impacted by this is man with creation. Before the animals were coming up, they were asking for names. They were, Adam was naming all of the animals. Now there is this relationship with the animals that is oftentimes strained, seen most prominently in the relationship with the serpent, who was a beautiful creature, evidently had arms and legs, and now God takes off those arms and legs for every serpent who would follow, and this serpent slithers on the ground, and there's probably not many of us in this room that say, ah, I cannot wait to get a pet snake. I mean, I just can't wait to cuddle with that thing and pet it and play fetch. None of us do that. It's a snake. Man with creation was now jacked up. That's the story of original sin. This was the first time that sin had entered into the world, but now... What did that mean for the world? Practically speaking, what does that mean for, the, for humanity? If you have your Bibles, again, turn over very quickly to Romans chapter 5. So thankful for the call to worship this morning. And what it is that we or she's just reading straight from Ephesians, reading it to us about what it is that God has done, and there's many sentiments that will be echoed here in this passage right here. Romans 5, I'll begin reading in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Let me pause. What is he going to tell us here in this section right now? There's two sides to this coin as to what it is that we inherited from Adam and Eve. In Adam and Eve, we inherit sin. Now, what does that mean, though, that we have inherited sin? Number one, it means that we have inherited guilt, and this is what he's going to talk about in this passage right here. That we are going to be declared guilty even before we commit a single sin because Adam and Eve chose to sin. Now, we know the objection right now is this. Whoa, that is not fair. Every child in the universe would say, whoa, time out, that's not fair. Well, I'm going to show you this in a second. If this is not true, then something much worse would be true. All right? So here's what he's saying, that we are all guilty because of Adam and Eve. Go down to verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You hear what he's saying? If it is not true that we are all declared guilty because of Adam's sin. Do you know what else cannot be true? We cannot all be counted righteous because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You can't have it one way only. We can't all be made right with God because of one man's life, death, and resurrection. 
if we're not also all made wrong with God because of one man's sin. But if you want to take your chances on working it out with God on your own, you go right ahead. If you think that you can do all that is necessary to fulfill the law of God so that you can relate to God rightly, then you're a fool. I don't mean you're stupid. I don't mean you're ignorant. I don't mean you lack intelligence. I don't mean that you don't have any morality. I'm saying you're acting like a fool if you believe you're going to be able to do what it is that God has set up. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life of that one man, Jesus. Now it gets abundantly clear right here in verses 18, 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many sins were, uh, uh, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass where sin increased. Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign in through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He can't spell it out any clearer than that last little section. Yes. It is a bummer that we all were declared guilty even before we committed a single sin. But praise be to God that we can all be declared righteous even though we never commit a single act of righteousness on our own. It's an act of faith. Embracing the person of Jesus Christ is my only hope. That is what makes me righteous, not my right living. We have inherited Guilt. That's one side of the coin as to what it means that we have inherited sin. What's the other side? It means that we have inherited corruption. I like the term corruption. I am borrowing uh, from Wayne Grudem's uh, terminology right now. Um, I, I like the way he says this. When I think of something that has become corrupt, we all can go to an image in our head and we say, that is a corrupt system or whatever it may be. We understand intuitively what corrupt means. It means it is not as it should be. Psalm 55. I'm getting there. Psalm 55 verses 1 through 5 says this. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in my in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. He's describing the natural condition that exists now. Ephesians 2, 1 and through 3 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you were once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were, listened by nature... Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
Our nature is now corrupt as a result of the fall. The natural man has a corrupt nature, a corrupt mind, a corrupt heart. There's nothing in us that is not affected by the fall. Genesis 6, 5, as well as chapter 8, I'll say it again. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I know that some of us right now are saying, I mean, this seems a bit extreme. I mean, the thoughts of man was only evil continually all the time. Does God really mean that? Yeah. What he means is this, that our hearts, our minds have become so corrupt in the process. There is zero chance, zil. Nip, nada, no chance whatsoever that we are naturally going to make ourselves right with God, go back to God, and to carry out his desires unless we have some serious help. And I don't mean help as in, you know, Dave, you're doing such a great job down there, man. I mean, you're doing 90% of the load. You got 90% of obedience. Let me just give you a tad little boost. I mean, as in, there's zero. You know the way Scripture says it? We're dead in our trust and sin. I love this illustration. It is not that we are simply just maimed. It's not like I did when I was younger, fell off of my roof, uh, hurt my body. It was another time I was in the hospital yet again. It's not like that where you're still alive and you're just hurt and you just need some help from doctors. We're at the bottom of the ocean, drowned, dead, been there for a couple of years, no life whatsoever, no chance to come back. What does God have to do with us? He has to give us life. He doesn't have to give us morality Because dead people aren't moral. They aren't immoral. They're amoral. Life has to happen. We are so corrupt as a society, as a people, naturally speaking. And I don't have to go through gruesome examples to convince you of that. We just don't want it to be true that there's nothing we can do to impress God. We want to have some level, some measure within us that says, God says, yeah, see you. Great. Romans 7, 18, Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. We have inherited guilt, meaning we are declared guilty because of the sin of Adam. And because of the sin of Adam, we are now born with the heart That is depraved. It desires everything contrary to God. Now, we may make that look a little better and smell a little better. We may make that feel a little bit better when we try to become as moral as we possibly can. But it's the difference between a body which has been dead for one day, which you look at, you still be recognizable, versus a body that has been dead for six days. Which one of them is more dead? One may smell worse, but they're both dead. I want you to hear me. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We do based out of our nature. 
Now, the good news is, and we'll get to it more next week, is that God comes in and he does something. He actually does something to this old man, although the flesh will remain, he does something where he gives us his spirit. And now we have a choice to either walk by the power of the spirit of God and do righteous, godly, wonderful things, or we have the, chance, the, uh, the choice to walk by the power of the flesh. No matter how good we try to make that look, it's still dead. Okay, it's good news. Where we are right now. I heard an illustration from uh, a, another actual religion, a cult. As they came into my house, I got a chance to meet with them for a year. Um, I, I loved every second of it. My family did not love every second of it. But this is a great illustration, and, uh, and I'm taking it straight from them. The, the guy who was meeting with me described it this way. as He was talking actually about original sin. He said, it's like this pan that I have in, in my house. It was been passed down for a couple of generations. It's his wife's, her mother's and her mother's, et cetera. And this pan had a dent in that pan. It had a little spot where that pan had gone up. Something happened years ago. Nobody really knows the story. But every pancake that gets cooked now has a little dent in the bottom of that pancake. Every pancake has a dent because the pan is dent. Every sinner sins. Every person sins because we are sinners. I want to close it this way by drawing our attention to something. If we don't, if we don't view sin biblically, then we are not going to relate rightly to God. Here's, there should never be a time when a Christian says this. Can you believe that he... Can you believe that she? I can't believe that I. There should never be a time in which we actually are confused about that. We may be surprised at people's sin. It may be seem out of their history, out of what they are, 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 uh, have a, a, a history of doing. But every person in this room watching online at any place in this earth, every single human being has the capability of doing the most horrendous, awful, atrocious, God-dishonoring, evil things. We all have the potential to do that. And if we don't believe that, we don't understand what this book is saying about sin and its effects. You know what it leads me to? It leads me to a place where I recognize that the problem in the world is not politics. The problem in the world is not poverty. The problem in the world is not hunger. The, the, the problem in the world, all of these problems that exist are results, and they are results of this one thing. Sin has entered the world. Do you know the greatest problem we have? The reason our world is broken. It is a spiritual problem. And the solution is a spiritual solution. So those of you who are involved in law enforcement and medicine and politics, etc., keep going. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Keep bringing a little bit of redemption to our world. But never be deceived into thinking that medicine is the answer to our problems, that politics is the answer to our problems, that law is the, is the, uh, the solution to our problems. They are not. 
The only solution to our problems is a man who lived 2,000 years ago, who lived the life that we could not live, who died the death that we should have died, was raised again from the dead on the third day, overcame the power and penalty of sin, and freely offers himself to all who will come by faith to him and say, I give, I can't do this. And to all who come to them, he then turns them into righteous beings based on what it is that he has done. The solution to our problem to this world cannot be found in this world. The solution to our problem in this world is Jesus. And that's why I want to spend every breath that I have trying to let everybody that I meet know Jesus is the solution to your problems. This is week one. This is just to get us started. Week two, we're going to talk more about why does God not fix it all now? And again, we're going to celebrate on week three and look at what God has called us to do here in the meantime.